Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Untamed Adventures of the Blind Donkey Runner. Just a heads up, there are a few technical issues in this episode, so I will try to work those out for the next episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did doing this episode. Um, Bryce Kuhn is a really awesome guy, really knows his stuff when it comes to college football, baseball. Um, he works for 24-7 Sports um, as a Georgia Tech beat writer, and I think it's pretty impressive. Um, we also talked Braves baseball and baseball in general. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hey, man, how's it going? How you doing, man? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Awesome. Welcome to... Uh episode of the Untamed Defense, the Blind Monkey Runner podcast. I know that's a mouthful. No, no. That, listen, it's awesome. I like it. I like it. I mean, when I came up with the name of mine, people were like, that's the corniest thing ever. But, I mean, hey, it's 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 cliche. People are going to know who you are, and that and that's awesome. Well, judging off of what you do, it's kind of fitting. I mean. Yeah. I, I tried tried to make it, tried to make it uh, kind of pertain to that. So, uh, today I have Bryce Kuhn on the episode. Um, he is known as a really impressive broadcaster for the Birmingham Bears and a well-known media person in Columbus. Uh, so, if you could give us a little uh, information about yourself. Start off. Yeah, definitely. Well, appreciate you letting me come on and talk about something that I'm passionate about. Uh, yes, so I'm currently... Like many, many others on a furlough uh, baseball broadcasting world. While the big boys are playing up at the major league level, us down to the minor leagues are awaiting a 2021 season. Um, so we will be gearing up for a, hopefully, you know, cross your fingers, a April 2021 season. And uh, so over there with Birmingham, the Barons, double-A a club of the Chicago White Sox, and just a historical franchise. I was entering my first season with them this past year, so still a – Still awaiting that broadcasting debut with them, which will be, which will definitely be a fun one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, listen, that's a storied franchise. Birmingham's a great city, and it has offered me a lot of opportunities. And it's kind of crazy. I was talking to someone the other day. Uh, I, I had was had the opportunity to do a couple baseball games for UAB, uh, the university over there. And uh, the last game that I did before um, everything broke out was the UAB Alabama baseball game. Nice. So we're sitting there. Great game, by the way. Alabama ended up winning 12-7, to so an offensive showdown between two teams. And it was crazy because you're sitting there broadcasting it, and you don't know that, hey, in the next day, the uh, next day or two, the NCAA tournament's about to get canceled. Conference tournaments were uh, just about to start at that time, and then the world as we knew it was going to be completely changed. Uh, so that that was kind of a crazy roller coaster ride, but – uh, along with that, so since that has kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus until next year, I also write for 24-7 Sports. Now, those who are not familiar with it, recruiting website covering uh, just about every single college you can think of, especially at the Division One major college football level, uh, I cover Georgia Tech. So everything Georgia Tech recruiting, basketball, um, football, obviously. And we dabble a little bit in baseball. Well, but providing some comprehensive coverage of those. Interviewing recruits, uh, articles, long-form articles, some feature stories. So it's a lot of fun combining what I love 
uh, you know, lo- I love sports. I have a passion for it. And then combining, hey, you can try to find a job in this field. It's just it's it's what everyone should strive for doing something That's awesome. they love. Uh, I have to selfishly ask you, uh, were you uh, covering Georgia Tech when the Austin Twins and Quay Searcy were there? Okay, so this is a funny story. So that was my first year. Ah. But it's funny. So I don't know if I have mentioned this on any – I think I've mentioned this on maybe one podcast I have. But I grow, – growing up in Columbus, Georgia, people are not familiar with that location. It's right on the Alabama-Georgia line. And so we tend in our seat to have a lot and a lot of Auburn fans being only from 40, 45 minutes away from Auburn. Uh, but, down, we're, you know, we're, we're three hours from Athens and about an hour and a half from Atlanta. I grew up a Georgia Bulldogs fan. Grew up a diehard dogs fan. And so as I've gotten into sports, you know, you come to appreciate every single team and what they have to offer, and you have to kind of leave that fandom aside. Now, they'll always hold a special place in my heart with some memories. But, yes, so Quay Searcy, as if I go back to my dog fan roots, it tears my heart out. But uh, <laughs> being able to cover that first year, man, that, that yeah, the exciting, exciting players, both those guys you mentioned. Uh, I, co- I watched them from their eighth grade year on when they were at Lamar County. Wow. And- for those years they were at Tech, I had to be a Tech fan when they weren't. Or I was always a Georgia fan until then. I'm, I went back to Georgia, but I had to call, I had to follow those guys. Uh, they were always they impressed me a lot in high school, and they were just as impressed at Tech. Uh, the kickoff return against Florida State, or the missed kick return against Florida State still stands. I can, I can quote that call. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so this would this would have been your first year with the Barons? Yeah, this would have been my first year with the Barons. I had done a lot of uh, college athletics broadcasting. And for those who are familiar with the Southeast, especially the state of Georgia, uh, Barry College, where I went to school, small Division three school, and they had just started a football program, so I was their director of broadcasting as a student. They didn't have any broadcasting. So we went from like two and eight our my freshman year there, senior year we are uh, nine and one conference champions, and we, re- we reached the second uh, round of the, of the NCAA playoffs. From there, went on to some collegiate summer baseball where I had a blast. Uh, man, that is, that is actually – that is really one of the things that has continued – even with everything going on. So it's been really cool to see that. And then Valdosta State was my most uh, recent uh, place of employment before Birmingham. And I was there as the uh, football play-by-play radio pregame host and uh, basketball pregame host as well. So it was a fun thing. And Valdosta State has a very storied history as well when you come into not only what they've done on the field, but the coaches they've put out, which right now – you can't. I mean, you look across the SEC, and you got a couple there that you know. Mike Leach joining, obviously Kirby had there. Muschamp was there, so it's really, really cool to see and make the connections there. But this would have been the first year uh, in professional baseball, and at the age of 23, uh, I was told like this is really kind of rare. Like 23 years old, your first job is at Double A. Like that is uh, a great opportunity. But you know, you just got to keep believing that hey, it's going to happen. Uh, they hired you for a reason, so we're all going to get back to normal. And I can't wait. Uh, to get back behind the microphone soon. I can't wait for that either. Uh, Mitch Stewart was down there, wasn't he? At Valdosta State? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, as well, yes. Now he's at uh, Stanford with uh, Chris Asher. Oh, listen, they have a it, – it's a laundry list of names that they have put off into 
like I mean, you mentioned, I mentioned the SEC, you mentioned, you know, uh, Sanford as well. I mean, it's crazy the amount of names that they have uh, everywhere across the country. And so that was a really cool thing to be a part of for the, the amount of time I was there. I know of uh, Mitch Stewart for Perry State. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, are you uh, hopeful for Mer- uh, minor league baseball coming back? This is a question I posed in my most recent interview uh, on my own podcast. And listen, there was a there was a chopping block of teams before the season started, and we knew going into 2020 that some of the teams that we may face and some other teams that people know around the country may not exist as a franchise past 2020. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you look, I think I want to go back and think the list is around 41 teams. And I know that that might increase because listen, at the major league level, they can, they're able to play and we're able to see right now without fans in the stands. But for minor league baseball, that is one of the big calling cards. I mean, if you've ever been to a minor league baseball game or, or if anything, you're able to, you know, experience the, the atmosphere that's there. It's a more family friendly atmosphere. Tickets are cheaper. Uh, there's, more on-field entertainment, more entertainment for kids, and it, you know, it's just a, it's more of a, uh, it's more feasible. So when you take fans out of that equation, that's the big money maker for these minor league baseball teams. Now, fortunately for Birmingham, uh, as of our most recent meeting, you know, we've we've talked about the city of Birmingham really, really supports the Barons, and mm-hmm. that is that is a blessing for not only them, but I think with the storied history of Birmingham, what they mean to that city. I mean, they've been there since 1885. Wow. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it is a, it's, I mean, that's when you look at 1885, that's okay. You can sit there and say, and I know for myself growing up a Braves fan, the Braves are one of the longest continued storied franchises in, in history as well. And they date back there as well. So you're thinking the Barons have had some sort of, whether it was the Barons, uh, the Negro league team, the black Barons that were there. I mean, it is, it's a historical franchise. So when we go forward, listen, you have to remain hopeful. That's what I was talking with, with a couple broadcasters around the Southern league, which is, um, the league that Birmingham and, and all the other teams play in, you got to be hopeful because if not, especially in the current climate of everything going on, you'll be miserable, absolutely miserable. Right. So I think that's just the kind of approach you have to take with all this. Listen, we know what's happening. It's you know, there's no escaping what's happening in our current world right now. Uh, this is the, this is the hand that we're dealt right now, and we're going to have to continue to get through this together. And I think the biggest thing is yeah, remain hopeful. But I think minor league baseball to to kind of answer your question and get to the point i think that minor league baseball is going to look very different there may be some shuffling of teams uh, maybe some new leagues forming uh but we will i believe have minor league baseball in 2021 but it will look vastly different i think from what we've seen in past years i, I just look forward to minor league baseball locally i'm a wrong I, i'm able to roam games a lot okay yeah uh, I was hopeful to go, get over to Huntsville to see Mississippi come up there um, and maybe Chattanooga, which is on the chopping block, which kind yeah. of me because that's a story. That, you, you were talking about the Bear. Chattanooga's been there for almost as long. Oh, correct? yeah, and that and that's something, too. I mean, you talk about the two Southern League teams that were in danger were Chattanooga and also Jackson. And t- those two teams are, like you like said, just like Birmingham. They've been around for – I mean, a hundred plus years almost. So that's what kind of, you know, that's what kind of, I, I, I don't like the fact that it, 
it hurts me to, to see teams because Chattanooga is so ingrained in that community. Right. Uh, Jackson, the same thing. Minor league baseball does so much for a community, especially it's not like it's in an Atlanta, a Miami, um, you know, but Birmingham's Birmingham is different because Birmingham's a bigger city and, and our, the level above us, which is Charlotte uh, and the AAA for the whites, big city too. But you're talking the cities that you just mentioned. And I was fortunate in my time at Barry to go to plenty of Rome Braves games because, as you know, we're right down the street. I mean, you can right. walk there just about. But it's really cool. It's a great family atmosphere. And I, I don't, I don't want to see what happens if those are not there. Um, right. it, it's a really cool. It connects fans. And, and we know as well, both being, you know, followers of the Braves, Braves country per se, that's what links all these people together. I mean, mm. you're able to, to see prospects and you're, I mean, take out Mississippi. Every single team is in a pretty close uh, jurisdiction from one another. I mean, you've right. got Gwinnett, Rome, Mississippi, uh, the Florida Fire Frogs. We'll see what happens with them going forward. <laughs> That's a mess. Yes. Ooh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it is. No doubt about it. And then you obviously have the Danville Braves who will be affected by all this as well. So I just think it's cool. Really sad, like you said. I mean, I don't think baseball is unlike anything else. It's, it's a beautiful, the most pure form of the game, in my opinion. Um, uh, I was going to ask you about the White Sox prospects that have come through uh, Birmingham. If you've seen them, um, Louis, Louis Ferrer, and I believe Andrew Vaughn is the White Sox. Or am I getting yeah. of Angel? No, uh, no, that that's right. So Andrew Vaughn was projected to start in Birmingham this year, and listen, he was going to be a fun one to watch. Oh yeah. Now we'll see what happens in 2021. I don't know how that's going to work. Chicago will decide to do. We've already seen their decision to promote Robert straight to the major leagues. I mean, this is a kid. If a lot of people understand this, we're seeing what he does at the major league level mm-hmm. right now, and it's phenomenal. And I was talking, um, I was talking uh, on a podcast yet. What he's been able to do in in at bat adjustments, you know, it's easy. I don't want to say it's easy because there's a very small percentage of people that play in the major leagues. But what he's able to do, you know, see a curveball and then the pitcher comes back to it three pitches later, and this time he's not going to miss it. That right. is just something that's not coachable. That's just that's one of the talent. And so I think that that is what's crazy about him. And there's, I mean, there's a reason the kid from Class A advanced Winston Salem to Birmingham for about a month and a half, and then to Charlotte, and then they gave him, I mean, what was a four-year, multi-million-dollar contract before he had ever even stepped in Chicago. So I mean, it's 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 crazy. They had the faith in him, and he's showing paying dividends. Uh, the two other prospects to keep in mind, you mentioned one, Andrew Fawn, this kid, the number three overall pick last year's draft. I mean, he is your prototypical. Um, home run threat first baseman. He's, mm-hmm. But he's also got a great glove. And the thing to keep an eye on, we know the first base situation with Chicago, you have Jose Abreu, they signed Encarnacion, who's mostly just DHing. Um, but Vaughn played a little bit of third uh, in some of the preseason <laughs> scrimmages that they were doing. They called it summer camp, and then also back in spring training. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they have Mankata, they have a young core in Chicago. And to me, it's fun. It's fun to be a part of that because growing up a Braves fan, uh, I was born in '97, so uh, I missed the World Series by two years. But I was really grew up on the whole back half of the 14 straight division titles, and that right. was obviously something cool to watch. And then this most recent Braves rebuild has been cool because the 
And obviously, we know right now the pitching depth we, we thought was there may not be there right now. Um, but it's really that. cool to see <laughs> the Chicago get this excitement because I mean they're only they're 15 years removed from winning the World Series back in '05, uh, which seems wow. crazy that 2005 was 15 years ago. Yeah, uh, but but it's exciting and. And then, listen, they are going to be a talented team for years to come. I think they'll make the playoffs this year just because half the league is making it uh, with the expanded playoffs. But I think the AL Central, to me, is probably the weakest division in baseball. And so I wouldn't see – I think they may not be as good as their AL, AL playoff counterparts, a Yankees team, an Astros, and A's team, but they could definitely win the Central and, and at least claim a division crown. The Twins are pretty soft. But I agree yes. with you. They're up there. Uh, I watched Kanapolis a lot last year. Had some pretty good players um, that will probably be at Birmingham. And well, no, they got to go through Win- Winston Salem. Um, did I lose you? But if you're referring to Canapolis, yeah. listen, that the, the White Sox organization is stacked top to bottom. Uh, that I mean, it's it's an exciting time to be a White Sox fan. And like you said, and one thing that's cool to me, and when you talk about going back to the question about how would minor league baseball look, well, teams want all their minor league teams to be in close proximity. Well, you just, we've talked about three teams or three or four teams. You had Canapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. That's the top four minor league affiliates for Chicago. And you have two North Carolinas, uh, Alabama, and then, I'm sorry, three North Carolinas with Charlotte and then Alabama. So everyone is within a very close affinity. And, uh, man, Kannapolis. And, you know, they got the name change. They were the Intimidators uh, for the longest time. They're, they're now the Cannonballers. Um, so it is, uh, man, that's the best part about uh, minor league baseball right there. You got. I was. The I have a bone to pick with that one because I, was, I really like the Intimidators kind of logo a tribute to Dale Earnhardt and but oh well um oh yeah it's kind of funny uh, we were at a Canapolis game and we just bumped into uh he was a coach for Birmingham but he ended up or he had been at Canapolis and I can't remember his name but I remember his wife um they uh got to talking with us and they actually picked the next day's game so that's kind of a thrill uh, wow but um, moving on, what do you think of the season has gone so far? Do you think it'll go in the future this year? Sorry, you cut out on me again. Oh, that's good. Um, what, that. you, what do you think of the season in the major league so far, and what do you see in the future of this season? Man, well, look, first off, I'm just yeah. glad we're having a season. I mean, what, 60 games or not, it's not going to be like it usually is. But I'm happy to, you know, get off of work and flip on the TV and for three and a half hours kind of have an escape from everything that's going on. And, and that's why I love baseball, dating all the way back to, you know, the Great Depression. Uh, baseball was a form of entertainment and escape for people. It always has been. And I think that is a much-needed thing as we continue to try to rebuild and uh, post this uh, pandemic. But I think when you look at the future of the game, the game, the future of baseball, the designated hitter might be here to stay. Um, and, and, you know, there is a valid argument. There's, a, there's an argument on both sides that I understand. I, for one, <laughs> I, I, 
I was against it. I'll be honest. I was against it. I was the old school thought of the pitchers hit. Um, you know, I'd rather I, – I, V2, I'd rather see a 2-1 game than a 14-12 to 12 game. Right. Really. Uh, I, like, I like good pitching. But I kind of like what it does, and it gives guys opportunities. Now, I tweeted this probably about a week ago. I'm a big Charlie Culberson fan. Uh, his story is cool and everything also, him coming back to home. But he also played a big part in, long story short, I was when I was in college, we had a baseball program with the Boys and Girls Club in Rome, and he helped sponsor a little bit of it. So he was just someone who was very influential for us and everything, and that was a cool thing. But yeah, I think when you, when you look at him, if we don't have the DH, he's pinch hitting a lot more. Uh, without the DH, his at-bats are limited. And he hasn't done bad. I recall the, the an RBI double he may have had earlier in the season. I think it was against Philadelphia. But the I think the DH may be here to stay. I think they use this to say, let's see what it looks like. And I don't know. I mean, I don't miss seeing Mike fulton flail and miss at a baseball just in a horrible way. I but agree. Is going to be something that will be interesting to see if it – comes up you know 2021 we agree to do it again or if the cba expires um so that's gonna be crazy and as a braves fan i'm glad we don't have to play the padres uh because we're only playing this east schedule they are on fire right now their broadcaster had a great little uh term slam diego uh, of what, what was what has been happening recently with the grand okay. slams there so it's yeah, listen baseball is going to come back it's going to be good we just kind of got to weather this next storm because my concern is everything that was argued about it was to, to gave baseball a big PR hit right. um, because listen, I get when you sign a contract, you want the money you deserve, but I don't think the players and especially some of them, it was a little bit tone deaf with the current climate of what's going on with the amount of people who yeah. lost their jobs, the amount of people who are on un, unemployment and you're sitting here complaining that you're not getting 10 million. You're only getting like 3 million. You know what right. I mean? Like that's, that's just tone deaf. Now I understand what you signed up for and I, I get that, but I think that was a bad look on the players, but hopefully when we get this new CBA, hopefully there's not as much to argue about, although that might be a little too optimistic. But we will definitely see what the future baseball, stuff like that, um, you know, the opener. That's been something that's been having to use a lot. We've seen the Braves had to use it because no one's healthy. I mean, it's Max Freed, and then we'll see what happens the next four days. Yeah. Um, so that might be something that teams start taking approach with. Especially a team like the Braves with some younger guys uh, that, you know, we don't quite know what their uh, limit at the major league level is. They're getting some experience. But it's going to be interesting to see tactics that are used, especially, and I think the DH is the biggest part, because then you have a whole new um, idea and game plan for managers of how they manage a game with a designated hitter. Well, I agree with you. At first, against the because I was like, I like the tradition of baseball, I like the strategy of when to pull a pitcher, when not to pull a pitcher. Um, but specifically for the Braves, I like it because I want Marcelo Zuna's back in line. I don't want him out in left field. Yes. <laughs> um, I would rather have DePaul and Marquegas left and right field than uh, But the Braves, you bought the pitchers that we are struggling with. Do you see any trades or any moves that the Braves should make to improve that to help Freed out? Yeah, well, I think there's no I, – I, 
Kevin McAlpin, uh, Braves radio reporter, tweeted this, or it was about a two weeks ago. If Mike Soroka does not get hurt, Max Fried still might be the ace of this team with how he's pitching. I think they're two different pitchers. Mike Soroka, while a dominant pitcher in his own right, is more of your ground ball guy, and I'm going to not necessarily pitch to come, but he's not a big strikeout guy. Right. Now, to me, Max Fried is. Max Fried has the some of the best, best swing and miss pitches that we've seen. I mean, absolutely filthy. Uh, and so there's no doubt that, you know, if a potential playoffs rotation, he's going to be number one. Now, we thought Cole Hamels was going to slide in maybe at number three and be an innings eater for us, a veteran presence, and that just hasn't turned out. So we talk about trades. I mean, obviously, August 31st is, you know, 11, uh, 10, 11 days away now and, and from the time that we're recording this. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how teams deal with that. Now, for Atlanta, I think, you know, Alex Anthopoulos – Really, you know, when he came in, he wanted to see what the prospects had before he just came in and started shipping people off. I think big fear, and I was talking to someone about this last night, I think a fear of, in in my defense of why they have not called up Ian Anderson, because if you get on Twitter long enough, you can see the fact that they don't, I mean, people are unhappy with the fact that Ian Anderson has not started a game yet. So I think that they may be a little timid, and this might just be my only thinking, because they don't want him to go out there and lose value. Right. And I think that's kind of what has happened with Kyle Wright. He's out, he's up there. We know he's got the stuff. The kid went to Vanderbilt, one of the top college baseball programs of the last two decades. Right. And then, but I, but I think the thing is, is that he hadn't put it all together, and he may have lost some of that luster that we thought uh, he had in a trade value. And that's the thing too. As fans, we always prospects are a little more are a little better than maybe anyone else does so that's one thing you got to keep in mind so potential trade i wouldn't mind them going over to, to texas and taking a look at like a mike minor the former brave mm-hmm. uh, maybe a lance lynn who's been very impressive now there's been a lot of calls for the trevor bowers um you know the- and, yeah, with, and listen bauer Social media aside from Trevor Bauer, the guy has got the results on the field. No right. doubt about it. A sub-1 ERA pitching, just, I mean, having a career year. Um, I know that with everything going on in Cleveland, there's been some talks about maybe Mike Clevenger is on the trading block and would Atlanta be interested. I think you'd have to see what the return is. But I think at some point, this year to me is weird because obviously you only have 60 games. So. Right. A one-year rental is essentially, let's say we have 30 more games left, you may get five starts out of that guy, you know, not counting the playoffs. So do you want to sell the farm? To me, Pache's off off the table. We, I, I would not trade him. I love Drew Waters. I think that he's got a lot to bring. But if the if, if it's a opportunity to go get a guy and he's got some years of control, you have to ask yourself how much more – how much more can Drew Waters do in Triple A? Really, right. uh, I mean, the, the kid. I mean, he's he's got all the tools. He's shown it. I, I, listen, it's it's a tough decision. I'm glad I'm not making the decision, but <laughs> I wouldn't mind going seeing getting like a, a veteran guy like a Lance Lynn, or go out to San Francisco because there was a lot of talk about that as well. Uh, Johnny Cueto quietly having a solid year. You're not gonna you're not gonna have to sell the farm for him. Maybe some margin just to kind of be competitive in the playoffs. I guess. Because I personally, and I love the Braves, I don't think this team can beat, and let's just say, the Yankees in a seven-game series in the World Series. We just like, saw I mean, two they, games. They, yeah, so. it's just a, I mean, this year, 
to me is going to be an anomaly to what happens. What? So do you sell the farm? Or do you say, listen, let's just keep giving these young kids a chance, maybe add a veteran piece that's under control, and then let's gear up for 2021. And I think that's kind of what they're doing. They're not throwing in the towel by any means, but let's keep throwing Tukey. Uh, let's keep throwing Kyle Wright out here to see, hey, this is your opportunity. You have seven or eight more starts and to, to kind of audition for uh, 2021. What do you think of bringing up, say, uh, Patrick Weigel or uh, well, bringing up Andrew Davidson, Kyle Muller? What do you think of bringing those guys up? Listen, Kyle Muller is a beast. <laughs> it's yeah. huge. Listen, those guys are phenomenal. And uh, Ian Anderson, I actually watched a little bit of the uh, and, and listened as well to a little bit of the uh, inter-squad scrimmage they had at uh, Truist Park the other night. Mm-hmm. And Ian Anderson, to me, now we said this about Kyle Wright, but I think Ian Anderson is, is a little more polished. And I know he's younger, but he, to me, I, I don't know. I, I, I like what he has to offer. I wouldn't mind seeing him come up. I, I know the only thing is they don't want him to go. They don't want Ian Anderson to come in there and have four, three or four starts, giving up five-plus runs, and then we get to the winner, and everyone's like, well, he may not be as good as we thought he was. Now we don't want him in our trade package. Or we're going to have to offer more and add more to that package. Right. Patrick Weigel, that is a great story, first off. Now, I know uh, you're familiar with the guys who were in Nakahama Nation, Josh Brown. Love him. They love Patrick. So, yes. post-Tommy John, this guy, to me – profiles as a big-time reliever. I would love to see him in a closer role one day, uh, but give the guy a chance to start. You talked about um, Kyle Muller. I mean, the guy... Hello? Sorry about that. Hey. Sorry about that. No worries, no worries. I'm driving, uh, so I might have gone through a little bit of a dead spot, so sorry about that. Uh, we were talking about Kyle Muller, and you were talking about he was huge. Okay, yes. So, um, what I, really what I think about Muller is the kid's got all the tools in the world. If he puts it together and, and garners some control, nobody's going to hit him. And, like, I, I mean, he could be one of the most dominant pitchers of the Braves out of this entire class of prospects. I think he's got it. Uh, Ian Anderson, to me, is going to be – I think Ian Anderson is a safe bet to be at least a number three starter. Mm-hmm. I I really do. Uh, having watched him play in person, he's got a little. He he has a mentality too, and I don't want to say other guys haven't had it, but we look at a guy who really has fallen off the rails in Mike Fultonevich. From a mental standpoint, you look at the difference between Fultonevich, who's one, we'll call him a veteran. I mean, he's not that old, mm-hmm. <laughs> but compared to everyone else, he is. And a Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka carries himself like a 37-year-old guy who's been in the majors for 14 years, just from a mental standpoint. Max Freed has been pitching with a purpose right. uh, ever, ever since this, this season started. 
Fulte had that. I see. I feel like I see the same thing in Ian Anderson. He has a purpose. He kind of has a little bit of this. I'm. You're, there's no. There's no way you're going to hit the ball off me. I mean, and, and as a pitcher, you really kind of have to have that right. from a mentality standpoint. You can't pitch scared, um, and so you kind of have to have a little bit of a cockiness to you, not over the top by any means, but saying, you know, I'm the best out here and you're not going to hit the ball off of me. And I think that breeds competition. That does well. And to me, Ian Anderson's a safe bet. Muller, like I said, puts that stuff together. He's going to be good. Tucker Davidson has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, he's got some good stuff. And uh, we talked about Weigel as well. I mean, the, I think he's got a plus fastball and a really good breaking ball. Uh, he adds more. If, he, if that's all he has, he's at least a middle to late innings reliever at the major league level. Uh, if not, if he add, or if he does add some more to that repertoire, he could have a chance to crack the starting rotation as well. I get excited about these pitchers. Now, you go back to Fulton Evich. His stuff is there. Oh, no doubt. And I, I think these people that are um, down on Fulton Evich, I just I don't, I don't see it. I mean, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a Braves fan first and foremost, but – I think him and Newcomb will be back if they when they get their stuff figured out. They'll be they'll be back and stronger. Well, and I'll say this about Fulty. I don't know if you remember about two or three years ago he had the blood clot issue. It may have been the last year at Turner. I don't blood clot issue. Awesome to be on the. Um, a lot of way he needs I, I feel like he needs to gain a little bit of weight mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like I need to see him put on some pounds um, he, he just never really looked comfortable so I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there but like you right. said the guy's got the stuff I mean in 2018 he he was unreal. Uh, he, he was he was amazing for it. Ever since, and he, he kind of turned around the ship a little bit last year. And um, you go into twenty, you know, you got, listen. Right. The playoff game against the Cardinals. That is, to me, every pitcher right. has a worst nightmare come true game, and that was his. That was his. If that happens in July, nobody's talking about it. But the fact that it happened at the biggest stage, and I hate it for him because I like you said, I do think he. He's talented. He's got the stuff. But like you said, there's there. I think maybe physically there might have been something wrong, just because we saw the miles per hour. No. you know that his average speed of fastball Anchor. was going down a lot um, this year, below ninety. And so that's not the full. Your other the last love is college football. College sport. Um, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the SEC schedule and that schedule, then we'll move into a few fast start questions. Um. What do you think of the fifty-fifties doing the all-conference one non-conference? Listen, I at first, I, I, I love it. I mean, I, I still love it when the SEC made their decision, which kind of closed the door on your traditional rivals: Florida, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Clemson, South Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville. Uh, I didn't like that part of the SEC. I felt like that I didn't really understand how you can justify Georgia traveling to Arkansas yeah. now week one. You were talking about schedules, but not driving 70 miles to Athens. Or, I'm sorry, to Atlanta when 
very well. If Georgia's the team who people think they're going to be, they're going to be driving that same 70 miles to Mercedes-Benz for the SEC title game. So I, I don't know. Um, but I, for the ACC, I like it. The ACC got, got, had some two great things that they were able to do. They added Notre Dame for one year, which anytime you add a storied a blue blood program in college football like Notre Dame, that win for you for the conference, even for one year. And you also, on top of that, get them to mm-hmm. split their broadcasting uh, the revenue from the NBC deal. I mean, that in a time where colleges obviously need more money, that can help out schools, especially the school that I cover in Georgia Tech from a financial standpoint. Uh, so, listen, I like it. Uh, Georgia Tech is going to be playing USF, and uh, the conferences wanted control and to dictate what happened. And that's why we saw kind of an every mm-hmm. conference for themselves when schedules were released in, in, a, in a format. So I, I like it. Uh, you're going to be playing 10 conferences. And I'll even say this. This has been floated around. The days of the cupcake games, which I don't want to hate on those because I know for those teams, those mean a lot. I mean, that, that right. is your three-fourths of your athletic budget for the year to be able to play those games. We may not see those anymore. And, and we may only see one a year. Because why would you not, from a revenue standpoint, let's say you go back to a 12-game schedule you play right. 10 conference games like the SEC is doing this year. And then you play, let's say you play, and for, for Georgia fans, let's say you play a Mercer or a uh, Georgia Southern. I don't know. I mean, Georgia Southern's obviously Division One uh, FBS. But let's say a Mercer or a Kennesaw State. You help that local program so that you seem like the good big brother. And then your 12th game is a non-conference game. And we've seen Georgia's not afraid to schedule these non-conference games with bouts with UCLA, Oklahoma, and other schools coming up, Ohio State included. Let's say you go play in Ohio State. Who wouldn't want the revenue that comes from that? And also fans, I mean, listen, I love Saturdays um, more than in the fall more than anyone else, but it's kind of a downer when you see the weekly schedule and it's, you know, Georgia versus Alcorn State, Alabama versus uh, Alabama A&M. And I get it. For those schools, it means a lot from a money standpoint. Uh, As a Murray State fan, I kind of hope they – Keep this because, or at least one because that's yeah. their program. Uh, I was oh yeah, I was torn when they come to uh, Georgia a couple, uh, last year. And I didn't know. What, I, I was just happy they scored seventeen points on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, what do you, in your model of that ATC schedule? Uh, the well, the twelve schedule. Georgia wouldn't be playing Georgia Tech. Uh, what, is that rivalry still big to you guys, or as big as it is to Georgia for you guys? Or listen, I understand this, and I, I, I when, when first off, you said you guys. I am not a Georgia Tech man by any means. Well, I will let you know yeah. that I simply cover the team. I'm, a, I'm a, at heart away from the away from the job. I will quietly cheer on the dogs if they win a national title. Trust me, my heart was torn out too on uh, second and 26. Yeah. So don't worry. Um, <laughs> but like you said, to me, that game, you know, you had quite seriously, you had the, 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 the interesting games in the past five, six years. It's not as lopsided as people think, but I really believe that Georgia has come and fans have come to say, you know what? Maybe Florida's a bigger rival. Maybe Auburn's a bigger rival uh, than really we consider. But Tech, because we all, they always feel like Tech's the little brother. Jeff Collins and company are trying to change the narrative. Listen, I personally, not just because I'm 
covering the team, and I want to see them do well because it's a much. It's listen. It's much more fun to cover a team that does well than a team that goes zero and twelve. Right. Um, I really believe that Georgia Tech, with the resources they have in Atlanta, recruiting in the Southeast, you're in the hotbed, a beautiful stadium with the Atlanta scenery behind it. If you can getting away from the triple option is going to make them at least respectable. Right. Um, and I'm not saying they weren't respectable with the option. But from a robbery standpoint, I hate that it's not going to be played this year. But I'm just going to tell you, 2021, this Georgia Tech team is going to have another year under themselves schematically, uh, switching this offense. Jeff Collins is going to have another recruiting class. I'm not saying they'll beat Georgia, but they're not. it's not going to be someone where someone says, okay, we're playing Georgia Tech, let's just take a week and get ready for the triple option. Or, or, or let's just, uh, you know, it's not going to be a – it's not going to be one of those games that's, uh, you know, okay, thank God, now we have Georgia Tech on the schedule. We can take a break from this rigorous SEC schedule. I think Georgia Tech is working the way to come a little bit more respectable and make this rivalry more nationally known. Uh, and the biggest thing to me, if you want to talk about the rivalry, from a TV slot standpoint, we all know that the primetime games are usually those 7 or 8 o'clock games with obviously, you know, being an SEC country, CBS is those 3.30 kickoffs. Okay, mm-hmm. well, on Thanksgiving weekend when it's rivalry weekend, typically not this year, obviously. Um, when when is that Georgia Georgia Tech game? It's a twelve o'clock noon kickoff, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Alabama Alabama Auburn three thirty. It's the CBS spotlight game. Uh, Seven o'clock is usually a mix between. Obviously, you have the Egg Bowl early in the week, but it's uh, LSU Arkansas, which is always seems to be a good game, even if Arkansas is terrible. Uh, right. These these other games. So I think from a standpoint. They want to be back in the national spotlight, and Georgia Tech has all the tools to do it. Like I said, Atlanta, um, the, the resources there, academically, it's a top five uh, academic school. I mean, it's it's they have everything you want if you're a student athlete. It's just, hey, I, I don't really want to go there and run the triple option because I don't see how that could help me get to the next level, and I think Collins is going to try to change that narrative. Um, Is Tobias Oliver still the starting quarterback for just – Still there. So he right. is still there, and this is a crazy story. It shows you how uh, selfless he is. Starting quarterback two years ago, last year moves to wide receiver. This year will line up defensive back. Wow. Um, the kid. First off, the kid's an athlete. I mean, yeah. no doubt about it. To be able to play this, to be able to play three positions in three years, you have to be smart, have an understanding of schematically both offense and defense. Will that help him? Oh yeah, it will. But, uh, no, he will be playing defensive back this year for Georgia Tech. Uh, I know they're excited about him. They know he's an athlete. Uh, it's just kind of brushing up on the X and O's aspect of it. I mean, he played a little bit in high school defense, so it's not something completely new to him, but we know high school to college is a completely different ball game. Right. Especially with the competition they're going to be at where they added uh, with three teams on your schedule in Notre Dame, North Carolina, and Clemson. I mean, um, so it'll be interesting to see. My wife and I watched him. Uh, I think it was this senior year or junior year when uh, Northside Warner Robins come up to play North Cobb, and he let a mate come back in the fourth quarter. He really impressed us. Yeah, he, he's a talented player, and I, I think, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily being pushed out of the quarterback position. I think that he felt, hey, I can, you know, I can, I feel comfortable doing this. Let's try to help the team in other areas. Because mm-hmm. the quarterback room right now for Georgia Tech is is very talented, young, inexperienced, but talented. Um, right. And uh, it's you know it's going to be it's going to be really fun to watch what all these kids can do because there's never been 
I think the question for Georgia Tech is they have the skill position players to get it mm-hmm. done. Um, and Amari and Brown, a wide receiver, the guy is reminds me a lot of for Georgia fans if you want to relate really compare to McCole Hardman. Uh, maybe not as highly talented out of high school, but the kid's got the same skill set. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a second-team All-ACC as a freshman. He tied the record for freshman touchdown receptions from, with, from Calvin Johnson last season. And uh, everyone knows, Georgia Tech fan or not, who Calvin Johnson was. Right. Uh, so when you have a guy like that, um, the running back room there, I'm, and I'm, I'm very serious about this, that running back room is a top 10, top 15 running back room in the country uh, wow. at Georgia Tech. Listen. That team that is going to be exciting. You added in Jameer Gibbs, who is was a late riser up the recruiting board. He is going to be fun to watch. Uh, Jamias Griffin and obviously the incumbent there, Jordan Mason, who was second team All ACC last year. Very very talented group that Jeff Collins is going to have a uh, fun time using. But that goes back to the question: They just need somebody to get those skill position players the ball, and so if right. they can get somebody who can at least hand off or throw some quick passes and get them developed at quarterback. Listen, this year's going to be an anomaly because I don't know what they're going to do conference-wise, how they're going to do. But if you would have had some of those, um, you know, group of five teams, they were Oh. Darn it. All right. Sorry about that. Listen, man, no worry. I have horrible internet at my house when I'm recording my podcast. So I'm sure sometimes when I'm recording mine, it looks like I'm in slow motion while the other person's talking. So do not, don't even worry about it. It happens. So, we were talking about Georgia Tech's skill position. Uh, Jemias Griffin was out of Rome, correct? Yes, and I had the pleasure of watching him. First off, that Rome High team was ridiculously good. Yes. Uh, and Jemias Griffin's older brother is actually a defensive lineman. Uh, there were three of them. And I think one of them is at Virginia Tech, and the other two now are at Georgia Tech, Jemias and his brother as well. I cannot remember his older brother's name. But, yeah, Jemias Griffin was a – he was a five-star back last year, and everyone seemed to think, oh, we have Jameer Gibbs, who's unreal, but you also got Jemias Griffin still. So, mm-hmm. listen, Tashard Choice, former Georgia Tech running back, is the position coach there, and he has done a fantastic job of keeping uh, these guys in state and not allowing them to get up the road to Athens as well. Right. Um, so I figured we'd move into rapid fire questions and get you out of here. Uh, one, what is the best place to eat in Columbus or the Birmingham area? Okay, if I'm going with Columbus, uh, Columbus, Georgia, best place to eat. Man, I'm a big barbecue guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got a place called Country's Barbecue. It's a couple locations outside, but it's local to Columbus. They got great barbecue, great ribs. Um, and uh, some amazing, if you're a chicken and dumplings guy, love nah. it. So, uh, yeah, so great food. 
go over to Birmingham, man, Birmingham, first off, if you go to Birmingham, you better you better be ready to gain a few pounds because <laughs> the food there is great. You got Alabama barbecue, which is great, but a place that I went at least maybe almost twice a week for lunch uh, was called Jack Brown's uh, Burgers. Some mm. gourmet burgers, little hole in the wall, but fantastic. Bur- and I'm not talking about like your normal cheeseburger. These are like specialty burgers uh, oh, with some handcrafted fries. Uh, oh, my gosh. Sweet potato fries, which I'm a big fan of. So Ooh. great food over there. But like I said, great places to eat in uh, Birmingham. You better awesome. bring your full wa- a full wallet and ready to eat and ready to gain a couple pounds. Nice. I'll have to check that out when we go to Birmingham for the Barons. Uh what uh? What shows have you been binge watching lately? Oh man! Well, okay, so I just finished Last Chance U. I was a big fan of the show. Um, oh. the first. So I I literally finished that last night. Um, that was that was something, and it took me about uh two or three nice. days. So not, I, I I was uh, addicted to that. Love watching that, but also, and I, I hate to say because people can't stand shows like this sometimes. But you either love them or you hate them. Uh, I'm a I'm a dumb comedy guy, so I can turn on The Office uh, anytime. I love its dry sense of humor; it's hysterical to me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I can sit and turn on an episode of The Office, and I also, although I was not born when it came out, Seinfeld. Love Seinfeld. So um, watched a little bit of that. Been watching some of that as well. I love Last Chance. You, uh, I've I've seen all five seasons of that, and. Actually, the one of the defensive linemen from this year uh, committed to Murray State, which I'm kind of excited about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, that that show is awesome, and especially this season. Uh, I feel like I definitely felt more for the players on that season. So that that was really cool because um, a lot of the players have been big time transfers from other schools, but these were like local kids that were really trying to make it out. Right. And uh, I think that was a really really cool take, um, even though they didn't have the season they wanted. But I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I'm a this is a guilty pleasure, and I'm probably going to lose some credit here, but I, me and my wife have been watching Gifford. Okay. Hey, so, listen, it's okay. It, yeah. There's a show. I'm a, I, I, I love watching, like, cooking shows like cooking competition shows like i think it's hysterical to watch some people who get real razzled when they cook everything it's i know awesome uh you there All right, hopefully no there's no more disconnections. Hello? Hey, hey John, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, hopefully, awesome, 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 awesome. Hopefully we can get to these next couple of questions, no uh, disconnections. So, uh, best sports memory. Best sports memory. All right, is, do you want it to be like I was there or just maybe uh, watching on let's TV? Let's go one each. 
Okay, best sports memory live uh, was definitely – oh, this is great. So, Jason Hayward's debut, I was with my, like, lifelong best friend. We were sitting in the right field scenes. We had just sat down, major league debut against Carl Zambrano, and he just blasted one, and Turner Field explodes. Oh, yeah. The loudest I had ever heard the stadium. Um, so that was really, really awesome. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a top memory of mine. Going to Georgia games growing up, um, I think another one would have been really, I don't know, the Braves one. If you want to go football, uh, the Georgia game, Georgia versus Mississippi State, the year they went to the national title. Georgia was – that was like the first domino that fell. They are like, hey, this team might be pretty good. Uh, Jake Fromm's technically first home start. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, on TV, though, man, Ronald Acuna home run in the playoffs was great, and I'm not going to discount it uh, by by any means of what happened. But one that was really special to me back in 2010 when Bobby Cox – I think – and correct me if I'm wrong, it was 2010 when Bobby Cox retired. I think you're correct. Um, they were in the playoffs against the Giants, and Rick Ankeo hits a home run again at, at what was then AT&T Park to send the series back to Atlanta and at least guarantee one game back in Atlanta. Unbeknownst to me, my dad and I are watching, and this is, this is you know, 12-year-old Bryce right. sitting there watching. Unbeknownst to me, my dad had bought tickets in advance, and so he was like the happiest person in the world <laughs> that they were playing. And so Rick and Kill hits the home run, and my dad goes, well, we're going to game five or whatever. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was game four or five. But back in Atlanta, they ended up losing. But the uh, the Giants did a great job saluting Bobby Cox at the end. That was his final game as manager of the Braves. And uh, that was an awesome experience. So the t- that was a TV in almost an in-person experience. That was really cool. So mine is probably the most recent uh, uh, NCAA tournament, the win for Murray State over uh, Marquette. That's my TV one. Well, right now. Uh, in person, uh, probably just going to a Georgia game. It was Georgia Clemson. I think it was two thousand or two thousand one, and just being at a Georgia football game was the sheer. Oh yeah, there it was awesome. So, last question, and I always ask everybody this: favorite beer or why? Favorite beer or wine? Yes. All right. I am not. Okay. Um, this is funny. My buddy and I had a conversation the other day. Not a big, like, craft beer guy, like, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a uh, place in Birmingham that is got it's a little hole in the wall, and it's, it's a really cool place to go, and they had a couple craft beers. I And I'll be honest with you, I'm uneducated on the whole craft beer scene. Now, my roommate at the time loves them, loves them, loves them. But we just tried this, uh, you know, uh, pale ale, and it was, man, it, it was it was really, really good. I like that. But I don't know. To me, uh, um, and this is so, this is so, like, <laughs> high schoolish. I'm not, I shouldn't say high school. College-ish, I'll say that. College-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, a Coors Light or just a beer at a baseball game is the best. I don't oh, yeah. know. Something about that. So I know, like, Coors Light is like, oh, my gosh, you drink that stuff. I'm not a massive beer drinker, but like if I'm gonna have one, one at a baseball game with a couple of my buddies, that that's a that's a great great experience. Now, listen, can't do that now because I'm in the booth, and that would either make for an interesting broadcast and I'd get fired, or wouldn't even make it to the mic. So, um, <laughs> but definitely, definitely, no that that that's that. 
uh, just kind of a moment. That that's kind of cool. I'm a beer snob. I uh, I'm an IPA. If it's hot, I, I'm either an IPA or a sour. If it's cold, I like a darker stout, chocolate kind of beer. Gotcha. Um, I forgot one question. One, what is your best ballpark food? Best ballpark food. Okay, I can, this is easy. So we, uh, honestly, you have like your hot dogs, your nachos, um, all this kind of stuff. I don't know what this was. It was like a barbecue bacon burger that uh, we had at the Barron Stadium, and we did a taste test for local media right before the season started. And I'm telling you, it was a great. They also have these things called Irish nachos, which is like um, Philly cheesesteak on nachos. Nice. And I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna, your cholesterol is definitely gonna go up, and your life expectancy is gonna decrease. But man, you're gonna enjoy some good food at the ballpark. So if you come to Birmingham, you gotta let me know, and I can uh, hook you up with some of that. So it's really good ballpark food. Awesome. Um, I guess in closing, where can people find you on social media, or they want to check you out? Yeah, definitely. So uh, my Twitter handle is at Bryce underscore Coon. It's B-R-Y-C-E underscore K-O-O-N. Uh, so you can follow me there. I promise you that it's not all just annoying. Um, you know, it's not. I, I keep it fun. We keep it fun. Keep it lighthearted because you got to, especially now. And then my podcast as well is uh, The Crowded Booth. And that's the one that you've. I know you've been listening to. And we've had a lot of fun, man. That's one thing that, you know, everything going on, you can sit around and be idle. And what you're doing, too, is, is great, too. You're, you're doing what you obviously love to do and, and uh, keeping it going and keeping some content going. You have to. Uh, that's cre- yeah. Content creators can't stop when there's nothing there. And that was, that's what makes a good content creator. So, yeah, we've been doing podcast interviews. Chip Carey, Sid Bream was a really fun one that I did. Uh, and if you want to go back a little bit. Uh, you were talking about you had Vince Dooley on your podcast? Yes. Oh, my word. So, quick backstory, if you don't mind. I hope this is not running way too long. Oh, no. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we had Vince doing the podcast. I actually, it was a video. So, how I do my podcast is it's a, it's a live video that we do, and then we turn it into the audio of the podcast form. So, we release that later, like the day after or that night. And what we what, what we got to do is I actually did interview Vince Dooley at his house in Athens. Oh, wow. Which was like a Georgia Bulldog shrine. Now, for me, 23 years old, I was 20 at the time. Vince Dooley is still and is a legend and almost like a uh, – like he doesn't even exist. You know what I mean? It's like this – it's just this uh, – it's crazy. Like he's just – 
how how big he is around Georgia sports. Right. So my dad, who grew up in the Vince Dooley era, the Herschel era, walking for him, I, I was like, hey, dad, you want to come? And it was like, uh, yes. It was like a kid to candy shop. So <laughs> that was awesome. It was cool for me to see my dad. He's he, My dad's a really big sports fan, so he's been able to come along with these for some of these journeys, and it's just been a really cool thing. And uh, hopefully we get to continue them. And I'll let you know this. You asked me to plug some things, and I'll plug this one as well. Obviously, you, everyone's got to give a follow to this podcast that you're doing because it's a lot of fun. But uh, I mentioned to you before we started, I'm on the road, and I am broadcasting my first event since March the 10th. Oh, wow. And it is going to be the <laughs> collegiate summer baseball, the Macon Bacon and the Savannah Bananas. Ooh. Uh, the Breakfast Bowl series is what we're calling it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm about 20 minutes from Macon, Georgia right now, and I'm going to get ready for that broadcast tonight, which is going to be a ton of fun. But, uh, yeah, man, listen, sports are going to come back. We're going to have fun. We all got to keep trucking through and just be together. Where can we listen to that game? Because I, I can't follow them on Facebook because you have to pay for that. Oh, wow. Well, I did not know that. No, yeah, definitely. I will be uh, around 4 or 5 o'clock. So I don't know when this podcast episode is going to come out. It may come out. I don't know when you're going to plan on releasing it. But I can send you the link at the time, and uh, we can we can work it out and so you can have that as well. Right. But it will be – you can go to makingbacon.com, and there should be a watch live or uh, listen live link. All right. I appreciate it, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh Safe travels, man. That's going. That's going to be a fun game. It will be. Listen, I appreciate. I always love talking. Uh, that's kind of what my my dream is to do. So, anytime you want to talk, let's do it. But let's definitely do it again, uh, man. Maybe when we have actually some some recaps and some uh, results to talk about in the college football world that we can uh, stop, you know, previewing. I, I love previewing stuff, and I'm ready. I'm ready for uh, helmets to hit and for us to get uh, to get some games going. That sounds like a blast. Well. You- Bryce, you have a great day. You too. Appreciate it.